Hello, and welcome back to 10 Terabyte Hard Drive. My name is Joe Greenwood, and you are listening to our review of Dennis Hopper's 1990 Hitman thriller, Catch Fire, a film I would describe as balmy, not just in the uh, nature of the plotting, which is indeed balmy, but just actually just in terms of casting, because you've got Dennis Hopper in it yourself, himself, I should say, Got Jodie Foster, Dean Stockwell, Vincent Price, John Turturro, whose red shoes are quite something. Uh, Tony Siriso, Charlie Sheen in it for the moment, Joe Pesci, Catherine Keener, and most importantly, Bob Dylan, uh, in a role which is um, slim, is how I would describe it. It's a slim performance from Bob here, and so that's why the second part of this episode... Uh, myself and Gareth, my regular co-host, will be breaking down our top ten Bob Dylan albums. Uh, we have actually spent weeks preparing for this, and um, yeah, I'm excited to see what, what he's going to say. I don't think we'll ever top what Evan from Jokerman did, where he put Triplicate as his number one Bob Dylan album, uh, to which I say, fair enough, but that is uh, balmy, to say the least, much like the film Catch Fire which we will get into the into now. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. You can contact us at 10 terabyte hard drive pod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on the Instagram as well, which you'll find in the link below, as well as our individual Twitter accounts, as well as uh, the link to this week's film, Catch Fire, as well as previous episodes films as well. So, yeah, if you want to go back and listen to previous episodes or watch the films beforehand, you'll find them there. You'll also find a link to the films we discuss on next week's episode as well, which I won't spoil for you now, um, which you can probably watch at the end. There goes a WhatsApp message. Enough of this rambling intro. Let's get into the good stuff. Dennis Hopper's Catch Fire. Enjoy. Good question, actually, because I was kind of thinking about that before when, obviously, when you sent Catchfire, I was like, a Dennis Hopper directorial effort. And then I was like, oh, fuck, like, I'm probably the worst person. You know, in the way that you hit me up to do the podcast because I was probably the best person on your Twitter feed to do the Dracula episode. This was a time where I had to question myself and be like, I'm probably the worst person for the... uh, for Hopper, yeah, because I've not even seen Easy Rider, let alone like the last movie. What? And, uh, yeah, honestly, it's bad. Hang on, I'm just gonna let my cat outside. Yeah, come on, you can chastise me. It's um, yeah. Th- so so just for the listeners' sake, and obviously for yours too, Joe, because this is a uh, new information for you. <laughs> Catch Fire was I'm my appalled. first Dennis Hopper movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you've not seen? Um, oh wow! So you've not seen uh, Out of the Blue then? Oh wow, that's a that's a great movie. 
No, I've not, and I've, that's been on my list for a long time. The, the, my my introduction to him came, as I'm, I'm probably sure a lot of people's did, was through his performance in Apocalypse Now as the you know stoned photographer. Right, and then it's, it's and then obviously pop- Frank Frank in Blue Velvet as well, Blue and Velvet that's it. Show, yeah. Outside of that, oh, oh and and um, another one I saw quite early. Now I've just reeled them off. The three, the third one being um, uh, the the uh, uh, Christian Slater's dad in True Romance as well. But behind the camera, I'm a virgin to the game, so this is all new territory until, for me. Until now, do you know? What, now that you've said that as well, Speed is the other one. That was the first oh, Dennis Hopper shit. film for me. Yeah, totally forgot one. he was in my, it. My mum rented that VHS pretty much every week. Um, yeah, and would watch that. Hell yeah, and, dude. And it was on ITV every week as well, which was also good. Great movie. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah. yeah. Genuinely we'll have to put uh, Cruise Control on the, on the 10 terabyte hard drive oh. list. <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no. That Are we that kind of pod? Maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god! I'm trying to think what else is the other. Oh, uh, so the American Friends. Did you ever, never see that? No, no, I don't even the think Vendors film. Come across that one? No, no, that's a great one. That's uh, it's one of the Ripley books, the Ripley adaptations. Rick, Ripley's Game is uh, Vin Vendors ah. directing. It's very good, very very good. Highly recommend it. Shout. There was uh, when I was looking through his uh, filmography on Wiki. Um, and admittedly not in a very researched way. I'm sorry, this podcast is not going to be very researched on the film side for me. Um, okay. I'm 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 not great on on Hopper, although I I probably should be now because you know as we can go on to talk about like there's a lot of Kino and good vibes in Catch Fire. Um, oh, so always the man... there. <laughs> yeah, so the man's clearly onto something. Um, mm. But what fascinated me was obviously the original credit for this movie, which is the the infamous Alan Smithy. Um, mm. So, you know, he didn't he didn't want his name attached to it until they did the version that you and I watched, which was the director's cut, which he was happy to have his name on, even though yes. from what I can ascertain, they're, they're both very wild. <laughs> and uh, we'll go on to discuss that. But what I was going to say was the fact that he had, I think, only two other films after Catch Fire flopped um, that seem way more trashy than even Catch Fire. Um, yeah, and he was happy. He was happy to have his name on those. So <laughs> I thought yeah, that was the an hot spot. Thing. The hot spot. Yeah, films yeah. That really interests me. I really want to see that. And Chasers, which was Chasers, his last yeah. film that he directed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a weird one, Harper, because you know if you've ever read Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, he's such like a prominent figure in that, particularly in the early part of it, and like his sort of personality is just like, I mean, the man was. Uh, not a good man is is what I would say. He was he was not a good person, um, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, so yeah, he, he, I don't know. He's he's kind of like weird figure for me. Where you know I've read so much about him, but I kind of don't really have that much of like. It's not that I dislike the man per se, but I'm just like not as enamoured with him as some people are. So yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm, I've I've got that sort of feeling with him, but you know what. Enough skirting around it. Let's go into it. Catch Fire, directed by Dennis Hopper. A film we chose purely, well, partly because of the Alan Smithy thing, but purely because it has one Mr. Bob Dylan in it uh, for one scene. Uh, We will discuss that scene in excruciating detail. There's a lot to go into with that one scene of Bob. But 1990 Catch Fire, directed by Dennis Hopper. 
Uh, the plot, as per Letterboxd, goes... Here's the uh, tagline. When murder is your business, you'd better not fall in love with your work. Which does make it sound like a bit of like a jaunty, comedic sort of film. That's quite um, good, though. That's that's vaguely coherent in a way that the film is not. <laughs> right. uh, the, the synopsis, as per letterbox, goes, A witness to a mob assassination flees for her life from town to town, switching identities, but cannot seem to elude Milo, the chief killer, out to get her. Um, this film is so many levels of incoherent. Like, particularly in the beginning, where it has like these incredibly drawn-out dead spots of just not much happening only to then explode in the second half with it where that's the point where people say it loses it them like if you look at like the reviews online the consensus yeah i've sensed that sentiment as well yeah i I would concur with that myself would you oh really yeah i think so okay well why 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 was the first half so strong then for you why was the first half a masterpiece and the second yeah well (laughs) well I i don't want to cut you off but that is a good entry point into the film um, so I'm going to be very brief and say that for the first hour, I was kind of enraptured by it. And I, you know, it's so, especially the first, let's say first 25 minutes, if anyone's seen it, um, you know, it's it's pretty robust, especially in its director's cut form. I'm, I can't speak for the theatrical, mm. which might be a little bit more jagged and choppy. Um, but in its direct, in its direct, <laughs> his director's cut form, um, it's fairly okay at kind of establishing uh, what's going on. Like she witnesses the murder um, mm. and she's a conceptual artist, which is established through a quite weird scene of her uh, over the credits, like driving. Um, and you hear yes. her listening to her own kind of interview with like some yes. arts magazine over, over the radio. Like an NPR. Like an NPR, exactly. Um, and yeah, I was like, you know, woman witnesses a murder it, it kind of morphs into goodfellas at one stage which i think it kind of yes. was released around the same time as soon as pesci yeah. comes on and paulie from the sopranos is in it and you're like okay and yes. you know it's a it's a it's a civvy witnessing a mob murder you're like okay this is this is going down the goodfellas route that doesn't last mm. listeners that no. that does not last whatsoever um but yeah sorry i said it was going to be concise but my point is that the first half feels um yeah it's kind of it's 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 something's a little bit off it's not quite all there and the plotting is a little bit erratic but so much kino in the first half um, oh for sure and and not to say that the entire film isn't the back half i just think once the tone completely shifts into this like lovers on the run thing um yeah. it just becomes a little bit more conventional is probably what i would say whereas the first half is admirably weird and and, and aesthetically quite pleasing as well yeah, I think the second half of the movie, I agree with you, once it gets into those, the lovers on the run thing, um, it does become more conventional, but it just has so many like weird quirks to it that we'll go into as we proceed through the film in a moment, that it's like it kind of kept me in line with the first half, because I don't feel like the drop off in the second half is as steep. Um, I agree, I, will say, I do agree. I would say the finale itself is mental, like... like <laughs> batshit insane buckwild yeah it is yeah and it did really feel like we've run out of time we have to like do this as quickly as possible and it did feel very rushed in that sense but um yeah there's something about that first half where okay jodie foster witnesses this mob murder after her tire 
blows up or gets punctured on the motorway she pulls over and she has to go down this embankment where Joe Pesci and his mates which is Tony Siriso and yeah. um, John John Turturro with the reddish shoes outside of Dorothy oh. in The Wizard of Oz um, <laughs> I got to say the fits in this for a gangsters like very very cool like even by today's standards like Totoro's glasses and like jacket is just absolutely superb on point um, yeah and and a, and a nice linking point with um the woman in black that we did last time uh, the lady in the yes. black dress sorry i keep calling it the woman in black the lady in the black yeah. dress it was wavy gums the movie this kind of carried over that into that a little bit uh, just from an american perspective i felt absolutely absolutely um yeah it, it did it did sort of um i don't know it was it was odd that killing at the beginning because it felt like it felt like they were almost like in two different spaces like jodie foster watching yeah. it's just like is she actually <laughs> in the same place as them or oh she man just, and, I, and then I was like, "Wait, is this is this actually real in the movie?" Like I was. Yeah, I know what you mean. There, there's you know a few that, you scenes know, like that. Yeah, there are. You know that trope where they. Um, the, I think it's kind of most um, notable in like the Bond movies, where it's like, bloody hell! Like how bad are the henchmen at shooting where they can't kill him because they can't seem to frame it in a way where it doesn't look like a really easy shot, but they miss anyway. Where she's climbing yeah, exactly. up that chain link fence and they can't hit her, I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> she's there, she's right there. Like, <laughs> you could have ended the movie right there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. that's always that the funny. thing with those. Things. They, they, they. I think that always kind of the best <laughs> thing with those things is that the camera actually has to be in sort of motion with the character to sort of yeah. show you their their uh, sort of depth perception. But it's just like they're shooting and then she's off shot somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't really see they're shooting like past the camera, so we have like no sort of link of space between them. Only True. until the end when she actually climbs over the fence and sort of then the sort of thing on the run happens. And then they call in Milo, this Dennis Hopper character who is <laughs> You can have this flat if you want, and a boat if you get if you get her. And it's just like <laughs> what a weird offer they've given him. And then she does she change her identity? I don't really remember that too clearly. There's a lot yeah. of this plot where I'm like, did, is this what happens? Like, there's there's a lot of that. It was a bit of a weird, of yeah, it's a bit of a weird fever dream, isn't it? Um, the whole thing. Yeah. But I, but she, her, her, what happens is, and I don't want to just be boring and recount the plot, but I did find this yes. aspect quite interesting because the they they go over and they kill her boyfriend, which is Charlie Sheen. Um, yes. By the way, this might be the most great. The great thing about this movie is just like the stacked cast. <laughs> like, yeah, it might it might be the most stacked cast ever. <laughs> Especially if you're of a certain mind. Yeah. Retrospectively, the most stacked cast ever. Like Vincent <laughs> Price, so. Catherine Keener. Uh, oh, when she showed up. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, popped hard for that. Um, yeah, again, yeah. I don't want to recount plot because that's not what we do. Yeah. Basically, they they they've. They get Hopper, he starts to follow her, he gets all this information about her, he has this weird setup again of like registered names on those computers. You know when he's playing the saxophone? Oh that's and he's just looking wild. at the, in front uh, of his madness. triptych of Hieronymus Bosch paintings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, odd. Yeah, Absolutely incredible. Odd. And incredible. But then also it's it's incredible how like the saxophone he's playing becomes part of the soundtrack as well. Like it's it starts playing on the soundtrack and then he starts playing the saxophone. It's like I've imagined yeah. this music that I'm going to play in the film, and then he yeah, just that's starts a, wailing on his sax. I don't know what the term is, like mimetic, diegetic, diegetic. non 
diegetic it, and non-diegetic yeah yeah exactly and 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 lynch uses that to to effect in the yes. in the movie in the movie that this most reminds me of again i think it was released in the same year or yeah it probably was listeners will probably call me up, uh, pull me up on that if that's not the case but um the movie this most reminded me of and it's like a really interesting kind of analog to catch fire is uh, wild at heart by david lynch um Ooh. and obviously hopper worked on blue velvet with lynch and then yes blue velvet is very kind of like formally composed and heavily stylized whereas wild at heart is a bit like lynch unchained and this feels wild like hopper yeah, I thought so. And this feels similar, not only in the milieu in terms of, you know, the backdrop being the two lovers on the run, which is what Wild at Heart is, um, but also you've got a lot of the the, the similar kind of jazz score and those, those like ridiculously, like almost like comically heightened, like uh, romantic and sexual um, emotions playing out as well. And then crystallized by the fact that every two seconds, like, Hopper breaks out into some mad sax solo, like that just feels yeah. completely like, completely like out of place and wild, but but at the same time really out of peace with it. But yeah, what I was gonna say is I think Wild at Heart is the closest comparison I could think to this film while I was watching it, mm. and that but that feels even within the context of its unhinged kind of madness, it feels it feels composed, whereas this yeah. film feels completely unsure of itself and like almost like cobbled together um yes. but 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 tonally they kind of hit the same register and i and i like that mm. about this film like i quite liked seeing a bit more of a because obviously lynch is a famous control freak but hopper is probably more of a like you know laid back stoner guy like hey we'll just take you know wherever the scene takes us kind of thing you know he, smoking he a joint was, off camera hopper, hopper, hopper was more from my memory of like easy riders raging bulls was that he was more like I've got all these elements together. I'm just going to throw it together and see what happens. Like, I think I've got an idea. I've got all this. I've got this set and I've got this location. And it's like, I think this is going to be the way to do it. Now, admittedly, he was not a particularly laid back dude. You know, mm. and, uh, during the last movie, he had a loaded gun on him at pretty much all points, uh, I believe. And yeah, you know, a pretty unhinged guy with his drug use at that point as well. But when it coming back to this movie, it do get that sense of like the easy rider road trip hangout moments as well where she's kind of gone off to this new mexico town and then he finds her and then there's this bit where like he's obviously started to develop this crush on her as ostensibly and there's this amazing sequence i thought where like the christian like dance thing where like they've got the flames where they're burning the crosses and they're burning and they're like you need to feel the pain that christ went through as hopper's just like walking through at at night through the fire as then Jodie Foster's kind of like mm. getting very with, frenzied and the colours as well were great in that scene weren't they? Yes, absolutely incredible um, and then the bit where they start, when he kidnaps her and then it's like, right you're gonna this is your option, I can kill you or you can come with me and do this exactly as I say and just the absolute stinking lack of chemistry that these two have together which <laughs> works beautifully i think it kind of works the fact that they don't have chemistry works really doesn't it particularly in those first bits where they're yeah. kind of she's just like resisting him i felt like they had no chemistry personally the great line where he says to her there's vending machine with diet coke do you want to have a diet coke with oh. me that scene where she 
<laughs> she doesn't say anything the whole scene. Just goes into yeah. the toilet, gets changed, and like four minutes of just nothing being said of them just in two separate rooms not saying anything. Mm. Very odd. Yeah, very they're, odd they're, choice. They're, but I respect that. I do too. Yeah, and I know, and I know exactly what you mean now that you've said it because a lot of the stuff. And, uh, you know, similar to a lot of the movies that we talk about, there's not that much to read about it. We just we're going on vibes alone. Uh, and sure. I'm surprised, actually, with this one. I thought there would be a little bit more to, to dig into, given, you know, Hopper's profile and the fucking cast. But I couldn't I couldn't find a great deal. But what I did get a, a sense of, which ties into what you were saying, um, is that hopper and foster had you know lots of onset disagreements you know there was a lot of animosity mm. there and and you're right i think you made a really good point there which is that that uh lack of chemistry between them which could have been a reflection of their off-screen uh behind the scenes hostility towards one another as as a lead actress and director um mm. is actually quite apt for their initial kind of tryst where they're not they're mm. not particularly keen on one another for obvious reasons because he's fucking kidnapped her but <laughs> yeah yeah well there's there's that great bit when she's in the shower and um she's kind of got this, this um sort of frosted glass that gives it this sort of like white sort of over kino sort of color fucking yeah. kino it looks amazing uh, yeah and then they cut to him and he's outside and he's just red it's just red light this guy's like the devil basically mm. he's like coming that's to right he's watching her isn't he? away yeah uh, from uh, from her world and uh, trying to sort of um, I don't know how to describe it other than just sort of um, you know um, trying to have his sort of cake and eat it too I guess um, I think that that's kind of the um, that was, that's kind of the interesting point there of like this yeah. sort of how he presents these two characters and then it's like and then they fall in love and it's like ah <laughs> it doesn't quite work for me that them whole falling in love thing like it does feel like they're mismatched and maybe that's an interesting way of presenting it by having these two who are not having any on on screen chemistry like the kissing scene when he's kissing her legs and stuff <laughs> i was just like oh this is agonizing isn't it <laughs> yeah it was agonizing i mean she looks so fucking good in every scene I have to mm. go on my synesthetic bullshit once again I feel like that's happening <laughs> every week now <laughs> but um, yeah the fact that like she looks so good kind of redeems it a little bit I'm like oh this is still watchable and and actually it was interesting I don't want to make this the horny podcast but like Jodie is like never like I mean obviously she was hypersexualized, but in a very thematically consistent way mm. in her first role in taxi driver where you're supposed you're supposed to be horrified by how overly sexualized her look is um yeah but then outside of that really i mean you know think of her iconic performances like science of the lambs and stuff like she's you know she's very much like that kind of proto um like uh late 80s early 90s like feminist archetypal character uh, where mm. you, you you never see her sexualized at all and that's that's become her kind of distinctive or, or known kind of on-screen persona whereas this one really just runs roughshod of that just like every scene she's like dressed yeah. in you know a little bit scantily clad but yeah looks looks absolutely incredible doing it so props to jody yeah i mean there was a couple bits in it where i was thinking like she could have been like you know the female michael douglas if she wanted like she could yeah, have been that sure. sort of, she had that kind of energy to her in this in this movie 
um, there was also a part of me that was just like, would this movie have been better if Michael Douglas was playing the uh, Dennis Hopper character in this? And I was <laughs> yeah. just like, nah, he he needs to be Dennis Hopper. He's got like, he's got these weird setback eyes. You know, his forehead's quite you know pronounced, and he he should kind of like look this way of like kind of a bit menacing rather than like yeah. classically handsome. Again, there's something that people that pick up on now a lot, where it's just like most actors now they just kind of look really good looking. Like everyone, there's no like really interesting character actors. Mm. And like Dennis Hopper, you don't get guys who look like Dennis Hopper now. Sadly, like it's a lot of just yeah, very handsome dudes. That's right. Instead, which you know, uh, we, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we've talked about that on previous pods as well, like the the changing of beauty standards, but in terms of you know who gets cast and who doesn't compared to what yeah. we used to have and and I thought that exa- that that popped into my head watching this as well because Hopper seems v- viscerally unpleasant in this movie like mm. his as his character um he seems really unpleasant and it makes the the switch from her becoming affectionate towards him and then falling in love with him really unrealistic and unbelievable like to the point yes. it's farcical I'm not just talking about the lack of chemistry between them but the fact that he is just like repugnant like as a character yeah. and he never you know there's no charm in him whatsoever it you know even separated from his scenes with uh with jody um mm. but you're right like he just looks like no other guy has ever looked <laughs> yeah and that's and that's that for me is a net positive uh, same as it is for you because you know uh variety is the spice of life and we need a bit more of that <laughs> yeah we need we need a couple more creeps like Dennis Hopper playing really <laughs> characters that women fall in love with for some reason and then by the end you're supposed to think this guy's a good guy despite the fact he is kidnapped a person <laughs> and try to make them fall in love with him um, have you have yeah. you ever seen that uh, sorry to go on a bit of a tangent but have you ever seen that um, uh, Nick Mullen come town bit about like the Steven Seagal movie A Good Man and they're just yes, going on an extended yes. riff about that yeah and it or that, that punchline at the end of that where he's like I can't remember if it's Nick or Adam who says it because Adam comes up with a few good lines now and then, but he's just like, is that really Steven Seagal's definition of a good man? And I feel like <laughs> that's really apt for this this film as well because oh, yeah. Hopper probably did consider himself like a viable kind of leading man for this kind of like romantic oh, action sure. movie hybrid, uh, you know, genre hybrid thing that was very of its time. Um, and he's just not particularly good for it at all. He's great no. behind the camera because I think this film looks absolutely incredible for most of oh it. Oh my god! Um, and we can talk about that. You probably have a little bit more to say about that because I know you you liked it quite a bit. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I think in front of the camera he was a bit like oh, but you know the shots that he he composed and uh, conceived as a director. I was not expecting this level of uh, of keener. <laughs> yeah no he he was always kind of like this like he always had these he was always quite a visual filmmaker even like in easy rider which obviously you've not seen but mm. it's it's actually kind of, kind of an interesting idea actually to go watch easy rider now you know in your 30s where it's just when you should have seen it at 16 yeah you know, like reading on it, the road it, now or something <laughs> oh don't don't i have a friend who like read catcher in the rye recently and like he's read it many times before and he's just like it's just so good and i'm like yeah i know it's good but like really man like yeah yeah, no i agree no i agree sorry i I said that at the wrong time i i agree it's a very very good book i would just be surprised that he would ever have the inclination to read it now do you know what i mean i know and i think that's kind of what you're getting at as well 
Yeah, particularly also as he's lived in Russia and um, no, he lives in Russia and he's read you know the Russian greats and whatnot. And I was just like, okay, maybe if you need something that's a bit more like of a cool down book, yeah, maybe something yeah. like that would work. But he's, again, he's bored of Turgenev and he's missing home, so that's a bit of challenge. <laughs> true, true. Indeed. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. But yeah, the the Ed Lackman is the DOP on this. Who's Todd Haynes's regular uh, oh, DOP? Wow. Oh. Yeah, kudos yeah, to him. So, it looks beautiful. Oh god, yeah, really, really incredible. So I give him a lot of props for that. But yeah, going back to Hopper as a visual stylist, like mm. the whole Mardi Gras sequence in Easy Rider, where. He's trying to portray like being on acid, and he was like the first, well, one of the first films to do that, uh, particularly sort of like a mainstream movie. To the point now where it's still kind of the shorthand for it that he created, because he filmed it on like Super 8 cameras. Like they just went off, and they actually did acid, and they just filmed them in a cemetery in New Orleans, and you know that was that was the filming of that sequence, and that is still the language used for it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Hopper is a is, has got visual chops himself, but Lackman's lighting of this is really beautiful. Like I love the um, agreed. I love the um, when they go to that cabin and they're kind of like just slightly the sun's slightly setting and they're just sort of like hit with it, just ever so slightly, and it's just like outlining them a bit. You know, she's sort of like standing on some like cliff face edge and. He's chopping yes. wood with a, with, oh. a, with a tur- with a turtleneck and a gun like he's Dirty Harry. Like <laughs> he's just uh, incredible costume choices in this movie. A really good example actually of people not being in their natural environment but through their clothes. Where it's just like they shouldn't be there. They don't have the appropriate clothes to be there. But you know they kind of try their best to figure it out. Um, mm. Yeah, I like. I just, I love that whole sequence. Just like she's like fucking off herding sheep, and he's there chopping wood. And I'm like, yeah. this feels completely detached from the rest of the movie. But I love <laughs> the vibes, and that that for me sums up the whole picture, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, like also the when he gets the lamb from the crevice. I mean, it's just like, see, he is a nice guy. Like he saved <laughs> yeah. the lamb, and remember, remember that at the end of the movie when he's killing a load of people, <laughs> yeah. nitrogen, like the nitrogen explosion. He's a good guy, really. Yeah. Um, That's Dennis yeah, just... Hopper's definition of a good man. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've, we've skirted around it. It's Bob time. Bob Dylan Oh, fucking in... hell. I forgot. He turns up in this film. Yeah. How could you forget? How <laughs> no, could you that's, forget? that's how wild this movie is, that I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> This is the whole reason for this podcast. This whole episode is because we wanted to talk about Bob Dylan. And we, we came up with with this frankly ridiculous idea. Our forms aren't exactly simpatico is the uh That's the right. standout the standout line for me. Um yeah, he plays this artist who this is when Dennis Hopper's looking for Jodie Foster and uh Bob <laughs> says two lines does he even know he's there? Does he? Does did he want to be there? Like, is there any writing on this as to why he's in this movie? I I did do a little bit of a deep dive, but I couldn't find much of substance really. Um, in in keeping with Bob, and you know, we'll talk about his mythological kind of persona, especially around this time. Mm. Um, you know, there's what when when people got less interested in him, which is you know after the the 80s stuff and in the early 90s um you know let, let's say 
between desire and time out of mind. Um, yeah. It's even harder to kind of trace him. <laughs> yeah. So this, so his his performance in a movie which is barely kind of talked about in and of itself. Uh, yeah, there's there's very little in the way of substance. And but like you say, it's it's a cameo. I'm I, I'm not surprised he was friends with like Dennis Hopper. I guess that kind of counterculture era, like they probably cross paths. But the scene itself is just. It's like uh, it's like an icebox scene, isn't it? It has no bearing on anything, and he's there no. with the chainsaw. And correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. This might have just been me watching it and being like, "I am in a fever dream right now." But does it does it not cut from um, the chainsaw artwork? Oh, this and this actually might help me piece together why the scenes in the film, in terms of its plot, um, the kind of chainsawed wooded multicolored artwork that she's got on her mm. wall when she's taking solace yes. in the Mexican place where her um, New Mexico, whatever, like border yeah. border town place where, yeah, where her art teacher is like, you can stay here because she's on the yeah. run. And then he's like tracking her down through her artwork in, in a very yes. tenuous way. And then he yes. goes and sees Bob and Bob is the guy who, who made that piece. That's, that's kind of the link, right? In that is the, the link. That, that's the link I presume. What okay. you would have needed, though, what you would have needed is a scene earlier where Bob is there and she's just like, "Hi, Bob," and she's and he's just like, "Hey, how you doing?" And then you know he's just like, "You got any new art?" No, not yet. I'm working on, <laughs> on something, you know. And then that would have been the scene, but they obviously couldn't get Bob for a second day. I mean, they barely had Bob for an hour by the look. <laughs> um, you know, and I, yeah, but, it's buck wild. What's what's the quote from the review? Oh, that's it. Yeah, so I was going through the review. Sorry, Joe, I cut you off, but uh, I'll let you, I'll let you finish on, on the two seconds we have with Bob. But I just found mm. it really funny when I was looking at um, reviews at the people that we follow, and he always gets a mention on this pod. So as is tradition, uh, the only person I saw on Letterbox who had actually referenced the Bob scene was uh, Nick Newman once again. Mm. And he says that Bob delivers that line, which you, which you quoted earlier, which is our forms aren't exactly simpatico, with the conviction of a fourth grade play, and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to co-sign that because it's like, it's like, it's like no other line reading I've ever heard. It's so weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like he's a child being forced to by his parents. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, You've he, he's it. sulking. Fine, I'll do it. Like. <laughs> Our films aren't exactly simpatico. It's just like, uh, fuck. Bob, can we get another one? And it's exactly the same. And it's just like, all right, fine. We get the we get the message. Like, can you imagine there. if he was doing that scene with like David Fincher? And he was like, and like, or Stanley Kubrick, and he was oh. like, take, take like three hundred and eighty-seven. And he was, you know and I, I would, I would argue that he would still say it in the exact same way because I think he's making a deliberate artistic choice. That <laughs> well, that's that's the thing that I quite like about this casting, where it's just like. Okay, you've got this guy Bob Dylan who in 1989-1990 was not the Tyson he once was. It's a and rough time kind of for like, Bob, yeah. Yeah, it was a bit of like a fringe time for him. He's almost like became yeah. a bit of a fringe artist before, you know, his sort of rebirth in like 93 with like the MTV Unplugged and that whole band and the the never-ending tour and whatever else. But to have mm. Bob play an outsider artist when at that point in time he was himself basically an outsider artist. It's kind of like a bit of a clever bit of casting in my mind where it's just like, oh, like it's that. him. 
And it's like, would they go like, oh, it's that guy, that guy who's a famous artist. I mean, would the other option have been to have gotten an actor who was fallen off the face of the earth at that stage to play that role for one scene? But then mm. I guess maybe maybe it wouldn't have had the weird quirkiness of someone like you're, Bob. You're doing you're doing exactly the right thing though when you're when you're framing it like that, which is basically asking our listeners to imagine, and my, and me as well because I haven't thought about it like this. Like imagine what it would have been like as someone who hadn't thought about Bob Dylan for thirty years or mm. twenty five years, whatever, watching this scene and then say, "Hang on, that that guy looks kind of familiar," as opposed yeah. to the way that we would watch it now as kind of obsessives. Um, yeah. and yeah you're right the equivalent I, I'm trying to think what I was trying to think of like on the fly was like what would be the equivalent of that now like Christopher Nolan casting one of the other One Direction boys or something like that <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, hang on I bet, is that Liam Payne like what the fuck no obviously not that's, that's a terrible analogy I don't know why I came up with that but you know what I mean well, like who... just the idea of like that vague recognition of the audience being like Hang on, that's I've got and it. And then that person no. actually being of immense significance. And now that I've finally come full circle, I only think Bob Dylan is the only one who had stature of such magnitude at one time, mm. and then his star fell so far that there isn't anyone really contemporaneously that's analogous to that, is there? Well, I was thinking maybe you know Daniel Bedingfield maybe could have been the one to if oh, you were going to do that yeah. now. <laughs> If everyone likes uh, Got to Get Through This, which is a masterpiece, then fuck, it yeah, it would have had the same impact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was yeah. Desire of 2001, whenever that, um, that song came in. <laughs> Or maybe David Gray, actually, you know, White Ladder. David Gray's a good you shout, know. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a lot there's actually, a lot of grey heads on my Twitter, by the way, so yeah, that, that will Oh, resonate. David, great album. Great album. How many weeks in yeah. the charts, in the album charts? Wasn't that over like 100 weeks in the charts or something? At the time, pre kind of, like it was physical media era, probably the most ever, yeah. Certainly yeah, in the UK. So yeah, big up, great. Great album. Great, great album. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, just a weird choice to have Bob play that. <laughs> but then I actually think that an actor wouldn't have given you that performance, which is some artist being bothered by some guy doing this overly New York accent. And he's just like, what do you want? Like, I think an actor might have acted it up a bit too much, whereas Bob almost kind of like lived it of like, you want me to be in a scene in this movie? Oh, all right, fine, Dennis, I'll do it for you. Yeah, 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 I can be, I can be annoyed. Trust me, I can, I can play annoyed. It's quite easily. Like, I'm, I'm just imagining. <laughs> That's my Dennis MO at even, this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how would he even direct Bob Dylan? You're like, yeah, oh, that just... that went through my mind as well. I was like, what would you even say to him? Yeah, just stand there and say the lines. Great, perfect. Cut, Do perfect. Remember? Doing the Ed yeah. Wood thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, do you remember? Um, yeah, this is a callback that works because it's um, because Paulie's in this movie, obviously, uh, from yes. Sopranos. Um, but do you remember that viral video from like twenty? I don't know, it's not twenty ten, maybe earlier, like two thousand six, maybe. Where that guy talks about having one line on The Sopranos. Do you remember that? No. Oh, I don't remember this. Oh, I'll have to send you that. But yeah, if, if any listeners know, um, and the bit won't work out because it kind of relied on you having seen that. Sorry, man. It, rem- it, it reminds me of that. But, but essentially the bit is the guy has had one line on The Sopranos and then he mm. makes a YouTube video about having one line on The Sopranos and he turns it into like a bit of a rap song. And it's kind of like that like just the idea of like you're in the movie for like two seconds but no one ever thinks of you after that 
And then obviously yeah. he makes a name for himself because the video goes so viral. He actually becomes bigger than, you know, some of the people who acted alongside him in that in that one scene. Right, because that, right. that video went so viral. And then you've got like Bob filling that role where it's like Bob's so <laughs> insignificant in the movie, but as a figure, he's probably the most significant of the 20th century in all yes. of art. So it's just such a weird contrast. You know? Yeah, that that's, that is true, actually. And actually, if you think about it, like him in that era, you know, it was a bit of a dead spot for him. Mm. And then probably also, if you think about the other most significant artists of that, of this, of that century, it was Scorsese, who was coming out of his dark period of the 80s to come back and be reborn in the 90s, if you will. Um, you know, it was... Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a weird one, that, actually, now that I think about it. And actually, maybe that's an interesting cultural signifier, because, again, Dennis Hopper was well past his sort of, like, peak fame, where he would just sure. be, like, this kind of, you know, relic of a different era. And maybe he used Bob in that same way, or maybe he didn't think of Bob that way. He just thought, like, that's Bob Dylan. That's the greatest songwriter ever. And they're just like, yeah, who's that old dude? Who gives a <laughs> shit that he's in it? Like, yeah. yeah. Maybe but as always, as always with Bob mythology, we'll never know. And that's kind of the beauty of it. We're left to speculate. So I like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I think I said this to you before, but, like, I really don't, like... I've got, I've got a biography of Bob. I've not read the autobiography. I kind of want to leave the Bob stuff... It's like my own thing in a way. Like I don't I want agree. to know. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah, to... I, I don't like the idea of demystifying things that you know stay in my mind, you know, mm. live in my mind every time I think about them. You know, and and that's that's you know not true of a lot of things. A lot of things I kind of unpack to till the cows come home to the point of like, okay, I know too much about this thing now. I've, I'm becoming obsessive. But there are certain things where I know my enjoyment is predicated on not demystifying them and mm. bob does fall into that category and i agree with you so yeah i don't although actually now i said that i'm going to completely contradict myself and say i want to now <laughs> find i still want to find out why he was chosen for this role but that's the one bit of bob law that i want to unpack the rest of it can stay you know ambiguous yeah that's that's the hard thing with um... <laughs> with with bob isn't it have you watched his other film is it ronaldo and clara yeah recently um obviously we'll get to it because we're dedicating um portion of this podcast to it but obviously i've I've revisited a lot of you know bob stuff bob paraphernalia miscellaneous bob shit mm. and uh that was one of the big gaps for me i'd never seen it before um and it took me a while i, I think i had to cut it up into like four sittings because it's very long <laughs> oh my god um yeah it's Was fucking... it that bad no i mean it kind of yeah but not really like it okay. tries a lot of dramatic stuff with sam shepherd which is bad in my view i mean i, I got right. nothing from it but the concert footage is so good and it's presented in like a shaggy dog shaggy dog way which i prefer to scorsese's more polished um version of it in the, the thunder review yeah. Yeah, rolling right. for the review uh, film. So, so yeah, there's a lot, but but even like the Shaggy Dog weird stuff with Sam Shepard, like it's kind of endearing in its way. And mm. you know, I think once you're the, uh, a certain level of Bob pilled, and we'll, we'll get onto this, you know, you oh, you, they're, you, they're, you, the you, you kind of enjoy. Yeah, you kind of enjoy the shit that's not good. <laughs> the listeners are yeah. about to find that out. Yeah. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. Do you know what's interesting as well? We're talking about demystifying. There was the the memoir of the british actress claire bloom that i read called 
it's like it's called living in a doll's house or leaving a doll's house something like that and a lot of it is about her marriage to philip roth and you find out oh, like wow. all this like just like this i think he'd broken his leg and he was on like painkillers and he said like it was just the worst human being and it's just like i was reading it and i was just like man what a horrible human being and i'm reading it and like i kind of read all this in like portnoy's complaint and the human stain and all this and i actually i kind of didn't need to read this like again it's another thing why that stops me from going in too heavily into the bob stuff is i'm with you you know i'm I'm sure i'm sure he's not been the best dude at all the times bob i can definitely guess that that's the case but i don't need to like know everything about the guy yeah i suppose a, a, a microcosm for that would be why read about the divorce with with sarah dylan when sarah the song exists you know that kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Now let's let's wrap up Catch Fire because we've really gone off track here. Let's talk about this Big finale, time. right? Um, again, I'm not normally ones for like diving into finales and talking about giving away endings, but we kind of have to here, man. So he baits Joe Pesci and everyone to this gas power plant type thing, and then he comes out of nowhere in a silver <laughs> s- spaceman suit, shoots. A guy it shoots Dean Stockwell. Gene, Dean Stockwell gets shot, and then Jodie Foster comes out in the same silver suit, and then he's just like, "Oh, why don't you run off?" And they run away, scared, as they walk off in their silver suits, putting the helmets. I love, on I love suit. that little sexy whistle he does when when she puts on yes. the suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very funny. It's very funny. Yeah. Again, you could, you could kind of tell that you probably improvised that on the on the spot, and she hated it. Like she yeah. definitely did not like that at all. Um, and then they go over tripwire, which causes a hydrogen explosion, um, killing a lot of Remi- people. Not Bob. Not Bob. Uh, not uh, Bob. Dennis and Bob. No, he's long gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh, <laughs> but he but, will um, make a, a return in this film uh in this oh, podcast yeah. rather um he will. The, it, it reminds me of like a james bond thing out of like from from like yeah. an alternative universe or something like very roger moore very yeah roger it's, moore it's really roger moore yeah exactly like the moore films tended to have these like kind of bombastic climaxes in like uh very overly elaborately designed like areas um yeah. that didn't really have much of a connection you know to the to the main plot but you know just seemed to make sense to the coke fueled producers of the 1970s and this this gives a bit of that you know it's a bit more yes. of a it's not it's not quite as kind of polished maybe as some of those or high budget but it's got that vibe no. hasn't it it dev it definitely does it definitely does i mean it's like okay we need to kill these people off all right we've got this cool end how are they gonna live okay they need to have these suits and they need to go into a tunnel sewer system and then escape (laughs) through a sewer system and onto a boat to new zealand as jodie foster then lies there on the bow of the boat in a black dress and then dennis hopper comes in wearing a hawaiian shirt playing the saxophone and gyrating his hips yeah Yeah, and he's just like yeah he's thrusting his hips and she's just loving it she's just like oh i clearly love this her face is just absolutely mortified but it's got a smile plastered on it um and then that's the end of the movie and it's incredible absolutely incredible I, i i'll say it i love this film um i will be showing it to people in the future 
they will mm. be 20 minutes in saying can we turn this off and i'm like no you have to stick with this do, speaking of Please. that do you, do you know the original cut was 180 minutes long <laughs> what yeah so the director's cut is about two hours the uh, theatrical which gave it the alan smithy credit which hopper disowned and tried to sue the uh the studio for uh but the studio yeah. was bankrupt so couldn't pay him any money apparently <laughs> um which is brilliant uh was brilliant. 99 minutes long but the cut right. that he turned in that made him so angry that they refused is longer than the director's cut. It was 180 oh, minutes long. This movie was ludicrous. supposed to be longer than Cameron's Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I just can't with that. <laughs> Maybe Bob had That's... more material in that one. I don't know. <laughs> oh, don't. Don't tease me with more Bob. I yeah. Mean, I can guarantee there is no more Bob in that. There's no more no, Bob in that 180 agreed. minutes. It would have um, just been Hopper looking longingly at those fucking sexy Polaroids, I'm sure. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about the <laughs> Polaroid stuff in it as well. I, yeah. I, I've got to say, i got to give this film a lot of credit. It does kind of... Me too. My minimum expectations of a good movie. You know that Howard Hawks thing of, like, three great scenes, no bad ones? This has four very good scenes and quite a few bad ones, but the four very good scenes are so good that it kind of, like, mm. outweighs the bad. And actually, the bad has a charm as well. You know, the, the line the line of saying, like, do you want to drink a Diet Coke together? And then her just <laughs> silently walking away is just, that is going to be tattooed on my memory forever. Yeah. Have you got any final thoughts on um, Catch Fire? No, I was just kind of waiting for you to ask me to rate it, but I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and <laughs> rate say it. three. Well, I'll say uh, it's, a, it's not the easiest film to rate in the world, but I'm going to say three and a half and, and say that you know by any objective metric or measure it's probably like a two but it's clearly fucking sick sure and the yeah. vibes are and the vibes are impeccable <laughs> um and They're i think close. we've argued that str- i think we've actually r- mounted an argument for that stronger than i expected us to do so so yeah i'm i'm now not embarrassed by my three and a half and actually very confident and comfortable with my three and a half how about you uh, i'm going four um hell yeah I, dude do you know hell what yeah. do you know what man like I, sometimes I watch a movie and I just feel it, you know, and I can go like, yeah, it's a bad movie, and but I like it and I love it. And then there's films that I watch where I'm like, this this is competently made, and I absolutely have nothing towards it, and you know, <laughs> other people love it. I mean, that's kind of my not to go completely off topic here, but that's why my sort of like non interest, shall we say, in the zone of interest, because it's like it. I know it's going to be formally perfect. I know it's going to be super impressive. I know all that. And I just... I don't know. I feel like at this moment in time, I need something a bit shaggy in my life. Yeah, and I know this is mean. this is as shaggy as it gets. This is a shaggy dog movie. And I it love is. it for that. And I love the charms of it. So that's why I go four with it. And yeah. Good movie in my mind. Good movie. Great movie. <laughs> Catch Great, movie. Great movie. Great Catch- movie. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this is getting quite on cinema now. It's a great yeah. film. Great film. Yeah, Lots I give it scenes. five bags of popcorn despite <laughs> despite shitting on it for for an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's like, great. What, it is great. It's great. It's great. It's a big dicks movie, it, isn't it? It's got it's. I mean, and I'll, uh, I'm using chase. that as a segue. That yeah, that's straight, was... that's straight out of Bond as well. I love it. Yeah. It is actually, isn't it? It's actually it's, it's borderline Austin Powers. This film, like it gets yeah, to that fuck. sort of realm. Yeah, it's the opening of Goldmember, isn't it? Which is like the 
apex yes. of like the Bond prestige. Yeah, that's that's a good oh good uh, comparison. <laughs> now, listeners, we're going to segue beautifully into the second half of this. We're not going to talk about a film. We're going to talk about music, and in particular, Bob Dylan, uh, my favourite musician of all time. Um, I don't know about Mine Gareth. Too. He's get- oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, Gareth as well. Yeah, he's so the reason yeah. why we watch we watch this movie is because. Of the Bob Dylan thing. That's the thing that drove it. He's in the movie for less than a minute. I, I was actually expecting <laughs> a little bit more in the movie, but I was just like, oh, okay, well, I guess guess that's the end of that. And this sort of tenuous link of an episode. Now, me and Gareth now are going to go through our top 10 Bob Dylan albums. Are we including pre-1966 in this? Great or question. We, we... Um, I, I think we... I think we sh- we should have done, mm. but I think the conclusion that we've both drawn is that you know we've we we've we've enjoyed those albums probably since we were you know thirteen years old maybe even blonde younger on blonde. In you know yeah. yeah and the, and these are great albums so what I want to yeah. say is that just by maybe not including them and I'm not saying we're not you know no spoilers here but but by maybe not including them it's not like. Uh, it's not a contrarian thing. It's not a oh we're too cool for school type thing. It's just like we've we've had those albums in our lives since we were very very young, and we're we're like yeah. both of us are pushing thirty now. So maybe our tastes have just evolved somewhat. So you don't have to be all um, upset if uh, Highway sixty one doesn't make the top three. Yeah, I can I can tell you right now, listeners. There's no sixty six or earlier albums online sorry to spoil yeah. it for you it's tr- I, I can I say the same sorry listeners I, yeah i'm sorry to say it. i just can't because i just don't go and listen to them but when i do i do enjoy them i do enjoy those songs it's just yeah like i there was um a guy who's in uh, my dad and stepmom's band who um he gave me a lift um from london back down to the south coast where i live because he, he lives in a similar area to me we were talking on the way back and you know music guy and we were talking about like music we grew up with and he said that he the beatles was a huge thing for him and motown was a huge thing for him and i was just like oh okay he said like and you know i never i don't listen to him and he said like i love them and he says my whole thing with loving them is that i never have to listen to them again because they're so deeply ingrained into me exactly and you know like a rolling stone is so deeply ingrained into culture Mm -hmm. into music that's right the gunshot drum to open you know and then the piano coming in heavy straight away it's beautiful it's brilliant but as they said on jokerman not much marrow left on that bone for me and Mm. that's kind of what i'm about it's just like i need something still to chew on i don't want the smooth pace of of highway 61 i want something meaty and chewy and sometimes it's a lot of gristle but (laughs) fucking hell i can chew on that hell yeah no, I, I, I tend to agree. I think uh, my only pushback, it's not real pushback because everything you said speaks to me, but it's just that I guess I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a bit newer to latter era Dylan than you are. I, I, I stayed longer in that 60s kind of phase than, than I think you did. Um, so it was only really fairly recently when I was like, you know what, now I'm feeling that. Let's push on to the latter day things. So I'm mm. still a little bit caught in the middle of like my affection for those earlier records and mm. my newfound appreciation for the latter day ones, which we'll go on to talk about. But 
but that's that's still uh, that's still condensing a process which is now completely kind of formalized into i agree and i'm moving on you know like i can say yes. that highway is the album that changed my life as a 13 year old and it can still be that but it doesn't necessarily have to be in in a top 10 anymore because you know as you say i probably won't listen to it very often <laughs> whereas no. these albums that we are going on to talk to oh yeah they get a lot of rotation uh, oh, almost yeah. to the almost to the point of parody so yeah i'm i'm with you on that um right so this is what we're going to do we're going to go through our top 10 uh we're going to alternate starting at number 10 going up to number 1 i'm looking at mine now and i i, I kind of want to change it already oh, oh i want to change every single one of them. <laughs> It's, that is the I, nature I don't know of if I should. <laughs> I don't know if I should change this, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I will. I'm just thinking. I'm just looking at it now. My my forms are not exactly simpatico right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant! Um, uh, it's a little inside, isn't it? No, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. Yeah, I'm going to leave um, it. Okay. Now, listeners. Gareth, I've got to give you the floor now. Tell us <laughs> about your process. <laughs> Tell us about your process of, of choosing this top ten. Oh my god! Well, I'll give an overview. You are, so by the my... way, just just to frame this, you are single, yes? I am now, yeah, yeah, <laughs> currently. <laughs> and this list might be continue. Why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. It was like I said, listen, I've given a bit of context. Like I I'd stayed in the sixties stuff for a long time, transitioned into the latter stuff. Fantastic. Um it was twenty twenty two when uh Bob dominated my as the kids uh, are all about now, Spotify wrapped because I did every single studio album from the beginning. This time I didn't do that. But from the beginning, mm. uh the Bob Dylan eponymous debut up until uh Rough and Rowdy ways and this time i've cut out the the early 60s stuff and re-ranked the ones that at the time were very you know radical to me a lot of the albums mm. that i'm going to be talking about some of my favorites now were like a bolt out of the blue i was like holy shit like that's you know i like it but i don't know if i can canonize it you know it's it's a bit mm. crazy but you know having you know having gone through that process in 2022 as as described it's a bit easier for me now to to kind of be comfortable with with a few of my uh, more wilder decisions, let's say for the top ten. So mm. as you've as you've given me the floor, <laughs> and, should we start, uh, start the, with number? T- Do you want to yeah, start with number ten start- or shall I start mine? No, okay, you start with number ten. You start because I've given I've given a background as to where my top mm. ten comes from. It would be easier for you now to go with your ten because I'm I'm trying to put it off as much as possible if I can. Okay. Uh, number 10, I think I would... I've gone for a classic. I've gone for a certified classic. Um, Nashville Wise. Skylines in at my number 10 spots. Anchoring my list. Uh, oh, yeah. When Bob when Bob broke out a new voice. Um, <laughs> I t- how would you describe the voice? It's almost like a yodel at points, isn't it? it it's, uh, it's, it's a very... Doesn't sound uh, like him. Yeah. No, it definitely does not sound like him. No, uh, at all. But Nashville Skyline just the songwriting on this like particularly it's got like such a like rich romanticism to some of these songs particularly like girl from the north country i threw it all away um tonight i'll be staying here with you like these songs they're just so like 
beautiful and rich, you know, with their sort of like loving tone. And also, listeners, you know how people bang on about the run length of, of films. This album clocks in at a brisk 26 minutes. So no Beautiful. excuses. Beautiful. Yeah, you can be on you can be on your morning commute. You can listen to it once, maybe definitely twice if you've got a really shit long commute. So uh yeah i'd i've gone through the nashville skyline also one of the best album covers of bob as well where it's oh, just look at, his, look at his cheeky face mm. inviting he you looks in cute. to enjoy some cute as hell yeah yeah cute as hell it, indeed it, it is it might be his most consistent album as well it's just like start to finish you can just go through it 25 minutes like a, like that's a youtube video length and then you're done yeah and it's the most perfect <laughs> blemish free uh, yeah. vibey, chill ass, twenty five minutes of your of your life. It's so good. Yeah, you've and I, I seven threw it always hour... actually in my top ten. Sorry, you've watched this. You've watched a seven hour review of The Witcher Three. You're telling me you can't give me twenty six <laughs> minutes for Nashville Skylines? <laughs> get get out of my face. Yeah, get to get fuck. Nashville Skylines. Yeah. Get to fuck. Sorry, you threw it all away. I threw it all away. Is that in your top ten Bob songs? That's in my top ten of all time. Yeah, I think it's absolutely. Oh, it, it's 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 the perfect blend of like poignant Bob. And like structurally perfect, Bob, and the best expression of that new voice that we've uh, so exalted uh, as well. It's just great. It's just so perfect. Great song. Um, give me your number ten. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, this took a lot for me, listeners, but I've gone with knocked out loaded. <laughs> 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 I, I I think if you were to do a consensus of like all the Bob Dylan rank lists, like this probably gets the most like last places out of all of them. And I'm Why? so angry. I'm so angry about that, Joe. I'm so angry about that because there are some Bob Dylan albums that I fucking not hate. No, hate would be too strong, but that I just I would I don't have the time for. Uh Under the Red Sky under the red, yeah, that was the first one I was thinking of as well. I yeah. don't like that record. I don't. I don't like a lot of the covers albums. Like I like the 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 uh, the Sinatra covers albums. I like the Latter Day covers albums. I don't like like World Gone Wrong. Down in the Groove makes me angry. I hate it so much. Yeah. So I'm not that guy that goes, oh, everything he ever did is a masterpiece. So Knocked Out Loaded gets in the top ten. I just think Knocked Out Loaded is like it's rough, it's rowdy, it comes to play. Uh, it's fucking entertaining as hell, and it has Brownsville Girl in it, which I think is one of his uh, all-time masterpieces. What a song. So, I think it more than what deserves a, a place in the top ten. It's, you know, it's 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 the the sound quality. Like if you're like an audiophile, and I've, you know, I've been that way inclined at times. You know, I love Steely Dan. I love getting new speakers and playing Gaucho to test out the fucking levels, but. Mm. And knocked out loaded would be the worst album because it's so badly mixed, oh. and a, and uh, and it's so badly mixed that there is not even an engineer or a producer credited. Although uh, mythology dictates that it might be the first one that Bob produced entirely on his own, which, given how good he got at that under his Jack Frost uh, pseudonym, uh, mm. is probably a good sign for knocked out loaded. But yeah, knocked out loaded, great record. <laughs> Something about that movie though. Well, I just can't get it out of my head. Uh, <laughs> but I can't remember why I was in it or what part I was supposed to play. All I remember about it was Gregory Peck and the way people oh, And a lot of them so seem to be looking my way. Oh, what a song. 
Working with song. Sam Shepard and just being like the perfect collaborator for like, you know, he did it with Jack Levy yeah. um, on Desire, but I think I think he attains even higher highs with Sam Shepard on Brownsville Girl. Great, so what great al- lyrics. You, you had this thing of like the what album of Bob Dylan, the X album. What was that? The Did you have one for this one or was that this album too rich for that? Wait, what are you asking about the 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 ones that I was thinking about including at number ten instead of knocked out load? No, no, no. We'll get to those afterwards. But like, are okay. you saying that you had like a little line for each each movie? Is that oh, for each oh movie for a jam? yeah, of course, yeah. So I I've stolen this one. Um, I'll credit uh, the podcast, uh, the Joker Men podcast, for this one because it was mm-hmm. the only one that I I feel knocked out loaded is many things. It's like it's not a protest record. It's not like a it's not like a hillbilly record it's you know it's it's all of the it's like all of the facets of bob dylan in one record and that's ultimate ultimately why i chose it um but the best description i've ever heard of it i had to use for for my one line review which was the most big dicked bob dylan record and i think that's (laughs) that holds holds true and thank you for evan or ian from the jokerman podcast for coining that when talking about knocked out loaded because that's exactly what knocked out loaded is Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, How about you, Joe? Number nine, nine, please. Yeah. I wrestled with this because I had to choose one. Um, at my number nine, I've got "Shot of Love." Um, as my holy shit, we're synced. We're actually synced. I've got I've got "Shot of Love" at number nine. (laughs) What an album! What an album! I've called it the most varied Dylan album because I think it rocks the hardest, but it also has a lot of depth as well. But yeah, he's, he's, the fl- he, the floor is yours, my friend. His voice is beautiful on this one. Like I think this is kind of like his best like singing performance mm. um, album. But yeah, it's just it's rocking. This album is absolutely rocking. Um, the groom still waiting at the altar. That is an all timer riffing hard. That's a tenor. That's that a ten point oh. Yeah, it's a ten point oh. I love Lenny Bruce. I think that's a great song. Heart Beautiful. of Mine, that's a great one. And Every Grain of Sand, where when I saw him in Leon last year... One of his year, best ever. He, yeah. he, he still still does Every Grain of Sand. He closed with it, I believe, if I remember correctly. Oh, you're so lucky, what my friend. What a song. Yeah. What a song. Shot of Love is probably my favourite of the Christian albums. I only wanted to choose one of them. It was mm. uh, Saved Saved was the other one that I was close to. I'm not that big on Slow Train Coming. Like I'm not that hot on that. I'm not that hot on that one. Uh, not a Saved big fan of uh, Nofla. Oh, that's interesting because, oh, there's a de- mm, no. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Okay. I'm not okay. Say spoilers. It. I'm not say it but yeah. Yeah. That, cause that's, no, I, 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 I accept that, and I, I think Saved for me is fantastic. I love it. Saved is like um, the purest gospel album that he did. Like it's mm. like like you, you couldn't make that case for Shot of Love or Slow Train Coming, but no. on Saved he's like in pure gospel mode, and it fucking rules. Like the- he nailed it there's an album that we'll talk about um without spoiling it uh down the line where he uses uh gospel singers for for backing vocals and i don't think they sound <laughs> as good as they do on save so yeah big up saved no I, I agree shot shot of love is definitely even though that's kind of a transitional record he's moving away from the christian themes in the lyrics mm. it's the most accomplished record um for him of the three probably mm. Um, what can I do? I, I might have a different a difference of opinion, but I I know where you're coming from with that. 
what can I do for you by the way I listened to that that was the song I listened to from Saved to be like am I going to pick Saved over Shot of Love and I just Ooh. I don't, every grain of sand and the groom's still waiting at the altar it elevates just, it yeah it just Mate, elevates Water Down it Love just... Water Down Love is in my top 10 of all time it's fucking awesome what a song what a song mm. uh, since we both got that as our number is there anything else you want to say about Shot of Love. No, no, you, you, we, I think we covered it well. We can move on. But yeah, great, great record. <laughs> they're all great. We're going from the top ten. So great record. Great record. Great record. Do you want to, shall I go with my number eight then? So we keep it in our sort of order? Please. Yeah, please do. Yeah. This one, this was the one I wrestled with the most. And again, I listened to it a bit today to be like, where, what's its final place going to be? And I was struggling with it before we went on. And I was like, this it was my number 10 i bumped up to number eight um i don't know if how you're going to react to this but um shadows in the night is my number eight mm, album nice by bob it actually twists my stomach how much this album hurts me and upsets me it's, it's such a, beauty. a lone such a lonely album such a painful album and just how it's done with that sort of, um, you know, um, pedal steel guitar that they're using all through it. And again, Bob, one of the all-time greats when it comes to track side one, track one, I'm a fool to want you. As that as the opening, as he's sort of like setting so the tone good. of the album. Like he, how he sets the tone with that song. And it's just like, it really hurts me in, in my gut this album it's probably his most painful one for me mm. you know like it's it's his most achingly romantic it's his most achingly heartbroken you know if there's someone in the world that has rejected you recently listeners uh, or if you've been broken up with someone listen to this album honestly because it will take you to a much worse place um, mm. but I really think that this is one of his best and particularly one of his best of his later era bob because um, people like mock it as like you know the sinatra album and it's just like it's they not do. the sinatra it's not the sinatra album it's the bob dylan album and it's like this is him choosing classics that he feels like represents some part of his heart and soul that he wants to put out there and yeah it's, it's, it's a side of his soul that you don't really see that much i feel like or hear that much but shadows in the night number eight for me that was that was a lovely description, and I, all I all I have to add on that one, even though it doesn't make my top ten, um, is that uh, I had it reviewed in twenty twenty two when it was the when I, I'd come off the back of you know discovering a lot of these records for the first time, you know, uh, things that I thought was were just supposed to be hated, you know, like self portrait and stuff like that. So you know, I'm a mm. bit fatigued by the time we get to Shadows in the Night and. And my emphasis around loving Bob Dylan was always around his lyrics. So I was never yeah. that attracted by the idea of a, of a covers album. But it might be uh, in my subsequent re-ranking of, of the albums, the one that benefited the most um, from a, from rescoring it and reconsidering it. So initially, and I think I must have just been like dismissing it because it was a covers record. I gave it a, a 6.5 I'm checking now and it's gone up to mm. to an 8.3 because I think it's the level of poignancy and the the vocals and the way he you know brings new dimensions of emotions uh, emotions to those you know classic Sinatra tracks 
unbelievable and, and and maybe my favorite of all the dylan cover albums you know I, I i would say so more so than fallen angels which is a bit of a mixed bag and and certainly more so than triplicate <laughs> <laughs> the looming triplicates what what when the, will that finally enter our top tens um uh, we're, we're, we're give about me your 10 number eight. years away from that potentially oh god yeah we're a long way from that give me your number eight uh Okay, um, so I was going through. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, my number eight is a new one to the list. Um, it is 2012's Tempest. What? Oh yeah. my days! I was not expecting that. Yeah, um, but a bit of a curveball. A bit of a curveball for me, by the way. I I had it ranked as an eight point. What like eight point oh? I think when I first nice. listened to it in 2012. Uh, uh, 2012. Uh, that's now shot up to a, a solid 9.1. I'm using the Pitchfork Decimal System, guys. I'm sorry. It's just what I've been raised on. It's a standard. It's how I can make sense of things when I canonize them. But Tempest, mm. my God. I mean, it's not just because wow. I'm a Titanic head and there's a 13-minute track dedicated to, to the sinking of the Titanic, which is Titanic in and of itself. It is mm. the blood... I've called it the bloodiest of Dylan's albums, but it's also the blood meridian of dylan's albums as well it is blood and gore and uh going back to the 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 kind of way of dylan telling stories like he does on on my uh, historically favorite dylan track um rosemary um and the jack of hearts from from blood on the tracks so he's kind of going back into that kind of like storyteller persona uh after a couple of years of being a little bit more kind of first person um, but but he's doing it in like a revitalized way that's like drawing on Homer's Odyssey and potentially Cormac McCarthy and uh, uh, T.S. Eliot and you know these like mm. like all, all there's a there's a lot of like literariness in that, but it's packed into one of his it's one of his most meandering albums. I think that might go against it oh, certainly for, sure. for people. You know, it, it's a, I think every track averages out about six and a half minutes. Uh, yeah. but that's okay you know if you're into latter day bob you kind of you take that um and i think the band are just as great as they are on rough and rowdy ways um they they sound fantastic uh trying to think of his um uh is it charlie sexton on guitar like just fucking brilliant like they they sound they yes. sound fantastic and yeah it's just it's a uh, lyrically it's so kind of dense and twisted and warped and violent um it it gives me the same feeling as yeah when i'm reading like a a cormac novel or something like that um and Mm. he's in that kind of storytelling mode and and when you actually think about it because i remember when it came out it was the first year i was in uni i was like i don't i don't want to hear a new bob dylan album and i think pitchfork actually did dismiss it they said it was like a a 6.7 and they were like yeah well it's a new Dylan record, but it's not as good as modern times. So who cares? You know, and I kind of took that view, you know, but now mm. I'm like, Oh my God, it's so rich. Like, yeah, I, I, I love it. It, it was a late inclusion. It wasn't going to make the list until very late in the game, but right now it feels really good at number eight for me. I love that. What a pick that is. That's a really good one. The only, literally the only reason I didn't go back and give it a full deep listen for this was that I'm just like, 68 minutes fuck it now i'm not sure <laughs> if i can do that bob can you yeah, speed some of this effort. up i'm not and i can't i'm not one of those people that can like listen to things on two times speed like 
People who do that for music or films or oh, podcasts, no. even podcasts, I'm hell. like, no, I can't do it. Number seven. Um, I had to do it. It's it's a it's a Titanic album. We're getting into some of the classics now. Time out of mind is my number seven. Oh, uh, great choice. Yes. Is that um? I don't know if, if that's on your list. If it's a bit higher, we'll save it for that. Um, uh, no, unfortunately, just you know, it, it because of the knocked out loaded. <laughs> Because of Knocked Out Loaded, it had to be relegated out of the top ten. Jesus, it was it, it was in there. It was in there for so long, and now it's not. So, did you literally pick uh, Knocked Out Loaded because of Brownsville Girl? Yeah, and you know what? I will defend it on the basis that as much as I love Time Out of Mind and Cold Iron Bound is one of my all-time favorite Dylan songs. Brownsville mm. Girl is so important to me that. It, it almost would have felt like a betrayal of my own Dylan fandom to not have it in That's there. Fair. And Time Out of Mind was just the unfortunate victim of that. But it's still a masterpiece for me, Time Out of Mind. So why was it yeah. your number seven, Jeff? Uh, I just, there's three Titanic songs on this yet. Not Dark Yet, Cold Irons Bound, and the greatest breakup song in Dylan's discography, Standing in the Doorway. Um, so good which is just uh, what, what did you say uh, uh, I, uh, we were talking about like this song and then we were talking about uh, Fast Car how much we dislike the song Fast Car <laughs> yeah. and I brought up race, I brought up Racing in the Streets and you're like standing in the doorway and and uh, yeah Racing in the st- Racing in the Streets real dude he- uh, dude funeral music or something like that that's right yeah dude descending like to heaven that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it, yeah. I mean, just levels uh, above. I'm sorry if that sounds uh, misogynist, but <laughs> I, uh, Tracy Chapman's probably all right <laughs> for some. <laughs> but I'm sure that she's is a nice levels lady. above. I'm sure she's a nice lady, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. but lo- you know, lo- Pascal, the, great, the greatest song in, hit, hit, written in the history of the English language, apparently. Apparently, apparently so. so. Apparently so. Apparently, apparently, so. <laughs> apparently so. And look, I, I'm Not- a big fan of Lana Del Rey, and I'll shit on you know, her ability to write a song this good. We're talking about the creme de la creme here with uh, yeah. with that with that um, Darkness on the Edge of Town and Time Out yes. of Mind tune. I mean, even Love Sick, man, like from Love Sick, like I'm like, I'm, I'm in a Tom Waits album right now. Yeah, yeah, that could yeah, be yeah. the Lanois production or just like Bob's vibe at the time. But, you know, they call it his, um, his mortality record, don't they? And it yeah. is very, it is very uh, rough in terms of its thematic. Uh, Do you know what's hilarious? Is that like I'm like I'm not listening to Tempest at 68 minutes. This is 72 minutes, and I just like I'm, I'm more than happy to put it on whenever, <laughs> just because it, it is just I know I just find it so rich and it's almost like deep yeah. dark waters that you're swimming in. Like it, it's it'll sort of like take you down and sort of like you know dark nights of the soul basically. And I, I do it think will. standing in the door standing in the doorway might be the best song he wrote in the 90s. Maybe I, d- I don't know like where it's where, up there. Yeah. I mean, he did write Mississippi for the same sessions, didn't he? So we have to yeah. keep that in mind. But yeah, if we're going to call Mississippi a canonically 2000 song, yeah, it's, it's yeah. up there. Also, the reason why Time Out of Mind is so long is because, and I would actually argue, and it annoys me now that it's not in my top 10, that Highlands is about 20 minutes long. <laughs> yes, 16 <laughs> it just minutes never long. ends, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And High, Highlands for me is one of his like even more than maybe Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands is like the lo- elongated closer that doesn't feel as long as it is because it's so catchy. I don't know if you yeah. would agree with that. 
No, I agree. I agree. I do find it like mm. incredibly catchy and um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's kind of like it's got like a propulsion to it that exactly other, other repetitive, other but but propulsive. Yeah, for for sure, for sure. So yeah, number number seven for me. Time out of mind. Number seven for you. Do you wanna do you wanna hit me with it? I will. I've gone for one that you disparaged a little bit before, but uh, slow train coming is my number seven. Oh, interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, sure. I, Go to, to tell, break it down for me. Yeah, well, I've called it the most righteous Dylan album um, because it's the transition. I feel like yes. a lot of the stuff like post seventy eight with the world tour and street legal, he was kind of you know really at a low emotionally, and mm. then he comes back, finds Jesus, and you know teams up with Dire <laughs> Straits, and and pulls out Slow Train Coming, and it's fucking it's badass. Every track just goes. <laughs> you know, guitar what? tones. I, I was... Guitar tones are the best that he's ever had. Productions are could be the best he's ever had. It's uh, mm. apart from God gave name to God gave names to all the animals, which is a little bit like you know a, a kind of bone thrown to like Sunday schools in the chintzy south of America. Is how I would describe it. Yeah, yeah, chintzy. Yeah, that's a great description. Of it. Apart from that, I think it's one of his absolute best. And it just rocks, man. I mean, that opening track, um, the one that they use on Sopranos. Yeah, I'm gonna serve somebody. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And then Precious Angel, on a, on if you catch me on a certain day, that's my favorite Bob Dylan song of all time. So it, it, number seven Damn. feels good for it. I love that record. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I do like Slow Train coming. I do, I do like it. I do like it. I need to give it another go, but it is, it is, it is more. I just wanted to choose one Christian album because mm, otherwise, I, I would, of I course. would have had saved on here as well. But I want, I wanted to have one. Um, all three and, are great. It's true, and they they all play off of each other nicely. I mean, that's something I forgot to say about Shot of Love is that you start to hear like the reggae coming in, like you start to hear the reggae yeah. guitar start to like seep in, which you know you lines do. us up beautifully. Lines up for Joker Man, obviously on Infidels. Um, that's right the, uh, the first album afterwards yeah. do you have infidels in yours sorry i'm spoiling it for this uh no i'd be surprised if you did yeah, yeah no i don't have infidels i don't have infidels it's close to a great album but not there not there. agreed yeah i, would, I can't I would believe have you left so blind willie it. mctell off it yeah i would too obviously i do yeah um but yes. yeah there's there, there's the infidels that he could have made and the infidels that is and that's the tragedy of infidels Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Um, where, where are you, Joe? Are we on your seven? Uh, I've just done my seven. I've got my number six. Okay, number sorry, six. yeah. Go for uh, it, my, my number six is Rough and Rowdy Ways. Oh, hell yeah. Number, number six, Dylan. Um, so I, I do, just to go back to what we were saying before, I do have that higher up. Do we wait or save do we it. discuss it now? We'll save it, we'll save it. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's well, what's then, your number six then? In that case, then my number six is self-portrait. Oh, excellent! I haven't got self-portrait. Oh, great. Okay. Um, cool. What What do you like about self-portrait? I'll, I'll give I'll give you because I know it's not in your top ten, but I've called it mm. the most impressively assembled Dylan album, and I want to I want to see if that resonates with you. If you kind of know what I'm getting at with that. I I somewhat agree, and then there's that version of like a Rolling Stone on there where he forgets the lyrics and it's just like <laughs> which is the high point of the whole album 
yeah, it's it's one of those ones where I'm like, I like self portrait. I I really like it. I again, I think it it's a bit shaggy for me. Where it's like, if this was a ten, eleven track album, I would probably have it in my top ten. Mm. You know, and uh, weirdly. If if it was a ten track album, I probably wouldn't have it in my top ten. I oh, think for me, yeah, I think for me the reason why it resonates so much, and yeah, I'm sure I could create like an EP or a or an LP out of what what is a double LP, uh, and it would be fucking yeah, it would be up there. So I, I I'm not disputing what you're saying, but for me the the characteristic, the essence of self portrait is how kind of crazy uh, the uh, sequencing is. Um, mm. And the fact that it's like, so it feels like a studio album, a live album, and a bootleg album, and a covers album, all in one, and and it still hangs together. And that for me is remarkable. I think also I prefer um, another self portrait. I, I that is great. Prefer, I do. Yeah, I could... that that album. Um, that's fair. So that's, yeah, so I think that that's probably my other issue with self-portrait again an album i really like but it's just i don't know uh, i think i think this also, kind of speaks to the the evolution of dylanology or dylan fandom <laughs> whereby when when another self-portrait came out i was like finally i can listen to the album that should have been made and now yeah, i'm kind of yeah, like yeah. affronted by the idea of another self-portrait <laughs> as good as it is because i'm like no right. self-portrait is is, is sacred <laughs> there's a sanctity to how fucked up it is you know i, I, so well, I've I kind of gone, gone off the rails a bit the the thing I like about another self portrait is that it's kind of got like a, a a deafness to it, and it's I don't know I think it's quite a light and delicate album hmm. for me, which I, I I just prefer it to to self portrait. But again, self portrait. Uh, do you know what my other problem with self portrait is that there's it feels like there's actually not enough Dylan on it in a way. Like there's a lot of yeah traditionals. Like Little, Little Sadie's an amazing song though. I will I will say Beautiful. like and his version of it on there is incredible. Um, hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just just a bit. It's a. It's just a, a bit too shaggy for me to. To really fair like enough. It. He he was in a wild time. Lots of versions of things like coming left, right, and centre. Uh, New mm. morning was his attempt with uh, Bob Johnston, I think, to try and make yes. an album out of the, those sessions, and I think yeah. it fails despite the terrible album. Being very high. Uh, that terrible that would album. get nowhere near neither of our top tens. I know that for a fact. Um, yeah. Whereas the 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 kind of off shoe off beat off cuts of self portrait somehow cohere into something quite beautiful for me so yeah, yeah. it's it's my number six anyway but uh, where are we up to now Joe are we up to your number, number five, five? Mm. number five my number five John Wesley Harding oh hell yeah was it friends hell yeah to the pool unfortunately I've got that higher again so do we Damn. wait or what. <laughs> Uh, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. Yeah, no, John Wesley Harding okay. is my number five. Well, yeah, well anyway, actually, we'll, I know what's going to happen now, that my next one will be higher up on yours, so we're going to have to do the same thing. So my number five is Love and Theft, and I am I know that's going to be higher up on yours. It's, that's it's all, that's higher on mine. Yeah, that's higher on yeah, mine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so okay. we're skimming some of these. All right, number four. Oh, yeah. I bet you you've got this at number four then. Um, oh, go on. Blood on the Tracks? No, I've got Rough and Rowdy Ways, so it's time for Rough and Rowdy Ways. Rough and Rowdy Ways. <laughs> Okay, yeah. number four. Rough and, uh, rough, Blood on the Tracks is my number four. Um, okay, fantastic. You... So we'll, we'll 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 shelve that because I've got that higher. But for Rough okay. and Ready Ways, I've called it the, I've called it the most impossible album in Dylan's catalogue because I oh. don't 
quite know how it exists. Um, but yeah, where, 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 because wait, hang on, are we, have I confused this? Have I, am I jumping the gun? We no. are talking about Rough and Rowdy, right? Yeah, we are okay. talking about Rough and Rowdy. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, this is a question I had for you, actually. Uh, when it came out in 2020, yeah, and I know the the critical reception was was um, unbelievable from from yeah. the minute it came out, and it came out, you know, at that kind of lockdown, at that first lockdown, so a real treat for the bobheads. Um, but like I said, mm. for me, I wasn't quite ready to accept the latter era of Bob then as much as I am now. So I listened to it, but I didn't overkill it. But mm. now I think now it's fourth in my whole fucking list. I'm thinking, what the hell was <laughs> I doing? I could have dined out on that shit rather than listening to fucking Fiona Apple, um, Bolt Cutters album, <laughs> Fetch the Bolt Cutters album. Oh, <laughs> I should have been God. listening to Rough and Rowdy Ways. Was, Although that's a good that segue because uh, F- Fiona Apple is actually a accredited artist on Rough and Rowdy Ways. She plays uh, a piano on um, on Murder Most Foul. Is um, Fetch the Bolt Cutters is, her last album? It's her most recent album, yeah, her her last one, yeah. Um, and look, I, I love Fiona Apple. I just think, you know, Rough and Rowdy Ways might have been the better choice for me to dine out on at the time. Oh, for sure. Uh, because for now sure. it's become one of my canonical albums from the all-time canonical artists. So, yeah, how about you, Joe? What's your relationship with it? I think it's a masterpiece in the highest terms. Twas a dark day in Dallas, November 63. <laughs> like, just... <laughs> I mean, one of the best closing tracks ever. Uh, with his first number one single as well. It was his first single to ever go to number one in the states. Was that's Murder crazy? Most Foul, which that's is insane. Crazy. It is is absolutely insane. But just some of these songs, that, particularly when I saw them live, like "I Contain Multitudes," "Black Rider," Amazing. "Black Rider." Amazing. Uh, I haven't told this story on the pod. But when I went to see Bob, I went with my partner and we saw him in Leon. And she likes Bob, but she likes the Bob we're not talking about. And yeah. uh, uh, about Queen Jane like approximately Bob. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and a bit into the show, like maybe four songs in, she tapped me on the shoulder because it was in like an amphitheater. So we all just like sat down, but we were like staggered seating. And I was watching him and tapped me on the shoulder and he's just like is he gonna do any songs that i know and uh i was just like yeah probably not i'm just like oh okay and he did black rider and then he did black rider and she was just like this is amazing oh is- beautiful yeah so to hear that live was pretty incredible and then also bob's achingly beautiful um i've made up my mind to give myself to you it just that's a top 10 one for me yeah yeah it, it's it's just absolutely stunning i was absolutely i was stunning. tossing it up when we when you and i replied to a tweet the other day uh giving our top 10s our respective top 10s not in the album format that we're mm. doing for the podcast and the listeners now but in for the songs and i was like key west oh fuck or is it have uh, I've made up my mind and then I went back and I was like okay Key West might have a little bit more depth and it might stand the test of time a bit better but what hit me most on first listen what gave me that oh my god like that feeling of awe the first time I listened and that's I've made up my mind to give myself 
uh, to you because that the, the... was that that felt like me having my moment of Bob in the sixties, like when I first listened to that. Yeah, that that closing verse where he goes from the plains and the prairies, from the mountains to the sea. I hope that the gods go easy with me. I knew you said yes. I knew you'd say yes. I'm saying it too. I've made up my mind to give myself to you. Is just. <laughs> I mean, if he ended the album on that, because I feel like this is his last album. I know he had that Shadow Kingdom album that came out, but this is. If that this was cool. Is his last album. Yeah, it was cool, but I feel like this is his last album. Shadow Kingdom didn't. It doesn't feel like a real album to me. Um, even though I know it's classic. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know why it's classed as a studio album. It's you know. It, yeah. it's cool like yeah I, I like it hearing is cool, those. Yeah. It, it, it's almost like perfect for what we're talking about which is you know we've heard the 60s stuff uh, so we're kind of done with that now so it's nice to yeah, hear yeah. those kind of recontextualized, uh, yeah. and it sounds like a live album as well even though it's not so that's quite cool um, but yeah I would imagine Rough and Rowdy's Rough and Rowdy is his last and that's and why exactly is exactly why I called it the, the impossible album because I didn't think we would get another th- titanic statement you know after tempest mm. which for me te- again both of them are similar like tempest like it took me a while to realize how important the album was rough and rowdy a little bit more obviously important from day one but now that i've like gone through them all you know consecutively mm. many times over you see these as like proper peaks in his entire discography pre-66 stuff mm. included so for you know an eighty-year-old man to come out with an album as accomplished as Rough and Rowdy Way is like we're spoiled, aren't we? We're just absolutely spoiled. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. So hold on, what number were we on? So that was your number four. That was my four. This is where it's going to get confusing because we're overlapping a okay. bit now. But no, no. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do my number three. Yeah. And then, so my number four was Blood on the Tracks, but your that's higher for you. That, your that's number higher four for was me, Rough and Rowdy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna do my number yeah. three now. Which is Oh Mercy is my number three. And Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, the, the oh, I, mercy. oh mercy! Wow! Oh mercy! I I felt like I have to put an album up there and put my flag in the ground and say like this is one of the best albums of all time. And damn, yeah, I know. Th- this is your knocked out loaded. This is your knocked out loaded. <laughs> Except but it's actually an album that is very well regarded, so it's okay. Yeah, I know, I know. So it's it's not like yeah. it's not like a totally no, no. It's good, pick. but it, but for but for me, it's still a flag because Oh Mercy. If I go to my list now, is seventeenth for me in the entire oh right sixty six discography. Yeah, so uh, even you putting it three for me, it's still like whoa, that's a big statement. Wait, so hold on, what's if that's seventeen? What's what's sixteen and what's eighteen on your ranking? Uh, Infidels is 16 and Together Through Life has now miraculously got to 18 oh fucking hell this is really in dire grounds <laughs> on, on your ranking whereas I've got it in number 3 <laughs> I think no no it's, it's a- no, it's in, it's in good standing honestly I think anything except Down in the Groove is good <laughs> 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 anything above Down in the Groove you're, you're, you're really cooking <laughs> right okay I, I think in terms of an opening tracks, it's it's one of his best. Political world is an absolutely. I can't even understand the tempo and rhythm of that song. It's it's. We live just, in a political yeah, world. Brilliant. Do, 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 do. We live yeah, in a political cool. world. Uh, yeah. Man in the long black coat, which is you know obviously the song that Nick Cave ripped off for when he did Red Right Red Right Hand. Red Right Hand. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, he ripped that off. Uh, uh, Lou, Reed, Lou Reed's favourite song is on that record as well, isn't it? Uh, Disease yep. of Conceit. Yeah. Disease of Conceit is an unbelievable song. Unbelievable song. Yeah, just the production on this, I think, is is like Oh, you're giving Lanois some credit. Yeah, I have to give Lanois. This is like the only Lanois. Oh, actually, no, time out of mind as well. I know Bob doesn't You've like got to give Lanois you... too much credit. But, <laughs> That's um, true. He really does not. Um, yeah, well, no, there, I, there's, I, there's two schools of thoughts to this, listeners. There's Lanois is producing him at a very high caliber, which he is. Uh, yeah. Bob didn't like it because it was like another artist kind of uh, shouldering their way into Bob's kind of creative space. So you can see that. But the the thing that I think is irrefutable from both Bob and Lanoir is Lanoir was like, you're writing kind of basic songs, which means he's not a big fan of Lo- Knocked Out Loaded. Um, mm. But he encouraged Bob to write some really fucking like long and intense songs. So even if you're unsure of, of the production, as Bob is himself, I think we can all credit him with raising Bob's writing game and kind of revitalizing For his sure. career at some pivotal moments as well. For sure. I think this is like, if you think about when this came out, this is probably like his most direct songwriting since like Blood on the Tracks, basically. Like, it's a very Mm. direct album. You know, it's like, even stuff like on, uh, when he went on to like doing Desire, like he started to go away from that sort of stripped down like lyric writing. And I really do like love this on this album. Like, it's... You know, you could say that part of Dylan's brilliance is the depth to his songs, but like, I, I think just like the image making on this one is brilliant. Like the imagery he creates through the lyrics, it's just I think fantastic. And again, just production wise, really kind of like heavy. It's got like a doom laden quality to it. It's, it does. It's a very doom doom filled yeah. record. And um, yeah, I don't know. It really drew. It really opened up to me this time around. So. I'm I'm yeah, with you, I'm with you, and I think also for me, all the records of Dylan that I really dislike are like uh, kind of uh, Orbit, Oh Mercy, which I really do like. So mm. like it's like Oh Mercy just exists as the one shining beacon of a very kind of a time that you know probably ten years down the line that'll be my favorite period of Dylan, but right now yes. it's my least favorite period, and Oh Mercy does shine shine through. I just don't quite hold it in the same esteem as you but i'd love that's your number three pick also uh what is your number three john wesley harding was a friend to the poor beautiful and an album named after the founder of the methodist church which i've called the most mysterious album in dylan's catalog because that's how i would characterize it um some of his best songwriting on this i dreamed i saw saint augustine might be like that's a 10. That's a 10.0. I pity the poor immigrant. Um, 10. 10. All along the watchtower. I know. Oh, landlord. What's it called? Dear (laughs) landlord. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're all great. Yeah. Oh, and my my favourite cover of Dylan comes from this as well, which is, no, it's not Jimi Hendrix, you fucking noobs in the list. (laughs) It's uh, for doing all all along the watchtower. It's... uh, Mira, ah, oh, Mira Billette. I can't, I can't pronounce her name, but she's actually not even a solo artist. But she did a version of uh, "As I Went Out One Morning," which is the second track from this album, for mm. the Todd Haynes movie "I'm Not There," 
and it is my oh, favorite yes. Dylan cover by far. It's so beautiful. It sounds like a, a Waxahachie song from St. Cloud, which is one of my most favorite modern albums. Um, mm. But yeah, I think the songwriting is brilliant. I've called it, like I said, the most mysterious album in Dylan's catalog. We don't really have to get bogged down in that. It's very clear that, you know, all the weird mythology and lore around the bicycle crash and creating this album yes. straight off the back of Blonde on Blonde. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's pretty wild that it exists in this kind of like stripped down form. Um, he recorded it with two musicians who I'll give credit to, uh, Kenneth Buttree and Charlie McCoy. And that was it. Mm. It was just two guys and Bob. And they're a brilliant rhythm section for him. Uh, they yeah. lay down some slick grooves. Like you say, Joe, his songwriting is at an all-time high. And uh, yeah, I just don't know where this album came from. It, it just... There is no logical way to say, oh, yeah, this transitioned from this in the way that we could talk about other records on this list. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And there was no follow-up to it as well. Nashville Skyline came two years later, and that's a completely different entity, as we've already talked about. So, yeah, it's a a weird album, but it's absolutely one of his all-time best. Yeah, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight as well, one of the great closing Dylan tracks as well. Um I love the story about when Robbie Robertson first heard John Wesley Harding, and it's basically what you hear. And and he was just and Robbie Robertson says, and I said to Bob, you know what, Bob, you don't need the band on this. You need to just keep it stripped down and bare, whatever else. And I'm like, you are such a bullshitter. Bullshit. Bob, yeah, bullshit. bullshit. I never even heard that quote. Bullshit. But bullshit. 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 Bob said to you, I'm all right. I don't need you lads this time. Love you and all, but off i go this way and robbie's like wow oh you know yeah maybe you don't need us yeah whatever it's just like bob Holy told you what, what was up bob told you what was up you didn't robbie's like cocaine ego inserting himself <laughs> into the mythical bob dylan like historiography like that is yeah. obscene you know yeah, in- i'd not even heard that quote until you just said it but instantly i knew what he was up to because Bullshit. Everyone knows that if the basement tapes had to become, which was recorded around the same time, uh, slightly earlier actually, uh, mm. it could have become, you know, his next great blonde on blonde revered album. Um, and no, that just wasn't what Bob wanted to do. And it turns out that he was validated because John Wesley Harding cracks both of our, our top five. So good on him. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, that was your number three? That was my number three, yeah. Uh, so my number two, um, I put this in at number two a couple of hours ago. Uh, by the way, do you remember oh, when we talked about the film Catch Fire? Do you remember, do you remember that? That seems that a time long time ago. ago. <laughs> it really was a long time ago. I'm sorry, listeners, how long this has gone. Um, Columbia artist Bob Dylan's uh, finest acting performance. Sorry, yes, indeed. Um, so my number two, I only put it in at number two. I bumped it. Uh, I bumped Oh Mercy down from number two. Street Legal, I've got as my number two. Bob Dylan album. Just misses uh, out on the top, does it? Yeah, fair uh, enough. Street Legal, goated. What can goated. you say about it, Joe? Do I need to save it? Do I need to save it? Yeah, spoilers, listeners, you're going to have to save it. Because my number two yeah. and the one we'll discuss now is Blood on the Tracks, which I've called oh. the best, the best written album in the Dylan catalogue. Man, this that album is just it's it's the album I heard when I was twenty one and I'm like, damn, this is absolutely all I've ever needed, isn't it? This is mm. the album I've I've kind of like been waiting for. 
in my life. And I think I told this story not that long ago where I was on the train home and uh, Bob Dylan playlist was on on Spotify. And I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to some Bob. I'll listen to some like more popular Bob or whatever else. And I was just skimming through stuff. And then Shelter from the Storm came on and I hadn't heard it in like ages. And it, I was just like, man, that is just one of the best songs ever written. Just absolutely hit me like a ton of bricks. I listened to it like six times in a row. I had a cup of tea in bed and listened to Shelter from the Storm. And I'm like, this is just perfection right now. Um, again, one of the all-time great side one track ones, Tangled Up in Blue. Simple Twist of Fate as well to follow on from that. And then You're a Big Girl Now. Like That is oh. just three mega mega hits in Just a row unreal. i've talked too much about blood on the tracks i'll let you take over tell me a bit more about why you love blood on the tracks so much um well, it was the first one i fell in love with really profoundly i mean i'd i knew i was i was 13 and i knew i was cool like listening to like the electric albums like uh bringing it all back uh home yeah highway and blood uh blonde and blonde uh, Blonde and Blonde took a little bit longer to, to for me to warm to just because of, of its density uh, mm. but the singles you know I Want You uh, Visions of Joanna you know the, uh, yeah. um, Just Like a Woman you know they're, they're the songs that get you into Bob they're the reason why we're having this conversation right now uh, yeah. but the the one that instantly kind of went oh this this one's for me uh, was, mm. was always blood on the tracks um, you're a big girl now even though I didn't include it in the top 10 because I didn't you know people have talked about the the famous albums enough you know I wanted to come up with with a, a list that was a little bit more um, interesting because I think if you're going to post a list then you know people want to hear stuff or, or want to or, or maybe the purpose of a list like that would be for people to go oh actually yeah I've not, mm. not heard of that one I might give it a chance whereas if I was just talking about the ones that you know made me cry as a thirteen-year-old, then <laughs> yeah, of then course, yeah, absolutely. Of that that it wasn't Brownsville girl. Yeah. No, it it wasn't that. Uh, yeah, was... exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But no, I, I I can't speak about it without getting too saccharine or, or going too too in depth. But like like I said, I I described them all uh, as I ranked it. It had to be number two. I called it the best written album in Dylan's catalog. I still stand by that. I think Idiot Wind has his best oh. lyrics on ever the the second the penultimate stanza of that is is for me the the high point of his lyricism and that's including all of the the stuff um uh pre 66 as well uh mm. it's just a titanic album uh perfect it's often talked about as his divorce album he pushes back on that I actually think the album that I've gone with with number one resonates a bit more divorce ah. energy, but we'll talk oh, about that. Oh, it's very divorced energy, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Blood on the Tracks is, is probably the, the the greatest album ever released by anyone in, in many respects. It's the, it, it's the most consistent, it's the best performed, it's the best written, and it has the songs that have lasted with me longest throughout my life. So it had mm. to be, absolutely had to be on this list right at the very top. Excellent. Yeah, love Blood on the Tracks. By the way, pretty much everything for me from Rough and Rowdy Ways onwards is at a minimum a 9.5 out of yeah. 10, if not a 10 itself. I mean, it just depends on what day of the week it is, and then I'll exactly. give you a rating. Yeah, but it's uh, somewhere in that range. Uh, I'm going to hit you then with my number one. It's pretty obvious at this stage what it is. <laughs> you did it. Love and Theft. I have to. Yeah. I have to have Love and Theft. Good. 
Good um, man. I'm glad you did. When you're a yeah. Mississippi, when I've never met anyone until myself that has loved the song Mississippi as much as I love the song Mississippi, and yeah. then I met you, and I was like, oh, you like it even more than I do. So fair yeah. play. It had to be number one. Yeah, uh, I do. I do think it's probably like his best song, and that version of it is the best version of it. Like I think we've everyone's kind of listened to the Time of Mind recordings that came out a couple of years ago where like you were mm. hearing all those versions of Mississippi and they're great, but it ain't the album cut. It is not the album cut with that. Song. No, it ain't twiddling guitar coming through. And just actually, if you think about the lyrics, like the fact that he's singing it in this kind of like, not so much jovial way, but kind of, you know, um, I'm down on my luck, but you know what? There's good times ahead. Um, that is what makes that so potent to me. And yeah, the, the melancholy drifter vibes, isn't it? It's like yeah, and I, and I know a lot of people try to reclaim it or to kind of recharacterize it as like you know a metaphor for America, but I, I don't know. Maybe you can find depth in it in that sense, but not for me. I just no, think it's okay. the most um, honest and direct version of Bob we've ever got, combined with the most tuneful, perfect pop song he's ever written as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it reflects on his entire career. But it's also the most stru- and so lyrically, it's got all of all of that intrigue. But it's also the most perfectly performed pop song he ever wrote as well for me. Stick with me, baby. Stick with me, anyhow. Things should start to get interesting right about now. Right about it's now. Just such a be- beautiful, enticing lyric, you know. And then the one that always um, um, gets me that I want to give it the proper credit and give it the the full reading where is it yeah here we go um some people will offer you their hand and some won't last time last night i knew you tonight i won't tonight i don't sorry i can't read i need something strong to do emotion <laughs> yeah i'm gonna look at you till my eyes go blind oh, it's just it's great. i mean you could read that as the romantic thing of like you're the only thing i ever want to look at or i'm gonna get so drunk and just i'm gonna pass out blind drunk and i'm not gonna yeah you're the last thing i'm gonna see as i pass out drunk like just an intoxicating song and then never mind that tweedly tweedledee and tweedledum <laughs> what an opener the, <laughs> the fade the fade in the fade in as along with you know your number one album which we'll get to in a second the fade in of that incredible. oh it's so good it's so and good and then last lastly last song i want to go on to because i've talked about mississippi for too long now po boy oh oh that 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 almost made my top 10 the other day yeah. of all-time favorite songs it's got such a laid-back perfect vibe and you know what and i'll, I'll say this and i don't want to talk over your favorite one but it's in my top 10 as well but I, all i would say was that actually actually what did i describe it as that was it the best musicianship on any dylan album for love and theft i yeah. think this is where his band is rocking the hardest and they're most kind of yeah. in sync with one another and and that i think is irrefutable this is where yeah. okay, but Bob's lyrics are fantastic throughout. But this is where his band really takes center stage and uh, dominate the album Agreed. in a way that I wish the band had done a bit more on something like Planet Waves, which you know, as good as it is, it isn't as good as it could have been. Whereas, oh my yeah. God, his band on Love and Theft are playing better than they ever should have been. It's unbelievable. Yeah, incredible, incredible album. Right, your number one. It's obvious what it is, but you got to announce it. Yes, it is street legal. It's 
yes, it's 1978 Street Legal. <laughs> um, botched the reveal of that, but we've talked about it already, so the there fade. are no spoilers, listeners. I've called it the most poignant album in Dylan's catalogue. Can I just start? Can I kick off just quickly? Please do. This, I know you love is it. The, is the is the positioning of it in his discography like it's between two exactly. it's between two titanic albums blood on the tracks and desire and then his christian albums like his christian phase and it's like this mm-hmm. weirdly forgotten album i feel like it's this mm. oh he did this kind of like rock album and you know it was fine and it had some weird backing vocals on it you know um, that kind of done yeah. perfectly sync up with the songs. But man, the songwriting on that, the opening, changing of the guards. Ah, oh, that's a that's maybe, a top. Five. Maybe his best. Is that his, is that his best side one track one? Oh, that's tough. Uh, for me, it is. Yeah, um, tangled up in blue is is up there. Um, mm. God, there are a lot to choose from. You know, he's his uh, we. We always say this about Bob, like his sequencing is always phenomenal. So every time mm. you think of one best opener, you're like, oh, there's 32 others that could have been up for contention for that, for that moniker. But um, for me, Changing of the Guard is the best. It it comes at a time where, as you've already said, Joe, rightly that, you know, there's a lot of turmoil going on, sandwiched between uh, a lot of uh, great record or or, or, or kind of sandwiched between periods um but it ends up being this kind of like odyssey of kind of self-mythologizing and poetry that's somehow his most vibing hook heavy song as well so yeah yeah it's it's really it's really for me it's an aberration might be a bit strong because it's but it's it's within the lineage of a lot of different versions of bob dylan songs like it's it's kind of a bit of a desolation row in its abstract mm. imagery and biblical uh, lyrical uh, lyricism, but then it's also like, uh, well, it's like a tangled up in blue, like it's just a rollicking fucking great song. Mm. But then, you know, it's like something from the Christian albums because it's like got all this like gospel backing vocals on it, and it sounds like yeah. something like almost sounds like something like Springsteen would have made, you know. And that that's what I was yeah. going to go on to. What one of the reasons why I love Street Legal when I first heard it was because I was like, oh, finally, like. Bob's like letting the musicianship take uh, a foothold. And even though it's very shaggy dog, Mm. like it's very inconsistent and the recording quality isn't great. And, you know, he wasn't very happy with the musicians that played on it and stuff. It's going for that kind of pop rock sound that you alluded to earlier, Joe. Um, But it's doing it in a very Dylan-esque way. So that was actually what initially drew me to the album. But now what makes it comfortably my favourite is uh, the poignancy of it and more to mm. what you said after that which was the the state of mind he was in at the time and how that resonates through the songs and i also think sequentially as well there's there's not for me a bad song on it even the more no. kind of conventional lyrical escapades that he does on this album like uh love in vain some mm. of the pained singing he does on that chorus like i've never heard him emote so much before or since and it mm. really, it feels like my Dylan album now. It's not just the lyrics that are singing to me, but keep me at a bit of a distance or a bit of a remove because I'm like, well, I could never write a song that good. It's like the Dylan album that is like, 
the lyrics aren't uh, change of the guard being the exception but the lyrics aren't that kind of verbose they're not quite they're not that lyrically dense they're quite grounded and they're quite down to earth and the Mm. production reflects that as well so it's like it's almost the most approachable he's ever been as well and that level of consistency and poignancy is what i connect with most on this one i think it's a beautiful album it's a truly truly beautiful album that also just has like you know, they talked about like Blood on Tracks is the divorced album. There is nothing more divorced than New Pony, uh, which is about as divorced <laughs> as a song as a person could ever get. Once I had a pony, her name was Lucifer. You know, like that is just like, oh my God. Damn, Once damn. I had a pony. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes Did I wonder what's going on in the mind of Miss that? X. Yeah. <laughs> That's just horrible. Uh, just yeah. a t- terrible point of the that song but i still love it i love new pony like it's not a great song but oh it, yeah I, oh, it's, it's like it this album reminds me a lot of um, my favorite springsteen album which is darkness and the edge of town and it of it, course it yeah. sound it sounds similar to uh if uh change of the guard is badlands which is like the perfect opener um the the second one the cain and abel song um, yeah. Off uh, darkness, uh, new pony kind of sounds like that. It's like the gritty kind of like yeah. disgusting, like dirty rock and roll song. Well, um, it's also yeah the re- the biblical references as well to sort of tie them together. And the biblical references to tie it up, yeah, exactly. Um, I just gotta I gotta give one quick shout out. Oh um, please, uh, Senor, <laughs> Senor. <laughs> That's a top tenner for you, isn't it? I'm so happy. Do you know where we're heading? Ligon Ganny Road or Armageddon? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's my favourite song on the album. Like it's so good. Lincoln County Road or Armageddon? Like oh my days! Like there is a lot of biblical actually. You now that I think about it, where it's just like maybe he he had coked himself to the point of Christianity by this point already. So, yeah, yeah I, I get. I could talk about this all day, but it's another reason why this album is so good because not only is it kind of transitionally in that period, but you can see him kind of like grasping at religion for the first time, and that definitely echoes throughout the lyrical uh, themes mm. uh, of the record, and that that makes it. And I know I've emphasized how much I love Slow Train Coming, but Slow Train Coming is a righteous album, whereas this album is more of an exploratory album of religion. And that's, for me, the most interesting part of religion. It's like when you're kind of uh, toying with the idea of it and you're having a spiritual kind of crisis or moment of realization. And and he's going through that on Street Legal, but he's doing it with some of his most hook-heavy jams at the same time, so... Yeah, another dimension of Street Legal, which holds up great for me. Now, listeners, if you've made it this far, then you are truly a sick Kudos to you. Yeah, Yeah, sickos. Uh, (laughs) So, should we quickly do our top tens again? And I'll just run through them very quickly in order. Number ten for me, Nashville Skylines. Number nine, Shot of Love. Shadows in the Night, number eight. Time Out of Mind, seven. Rough and Rowdy Way, six. John Wesley Harding, number five. Number four, Blood on the Tracks. Number three, Oh Mercy. Two, Street Legal. And number one, Love and Theft. Can you run through your top ten quickly? Hell yeah. Um, so number ten, Knocked Out Loaded. Number nine, <laughs> Shot of Love. Sorry. I, I still think that's <laughs> it's funny, funny every time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's just a good joke. It is. Even though it made a whole big deal of you putting Oh Mercy at three, that is really yeah. the, the buck wild choice. Um, number eight, Tempest. Number seven, Slow Train Coming. Number six, is Self Portrait. Number five, Love and Theft. Number four, Rough and Rowdy Ways. 
Number three, John Wesley Harding. Number mm. two, Blood on the Tracks. And number one, The Inimitable Street Legal. Wow. Wow. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we'll be back next week with two films this time, so you don't have to listen to hours of Bob Dylan to <laughs> join in with us. We've got two stonking films. Bangers. Bangers, boys. Bangers. You, and, you, and, and, and girls. Whoever you want to be, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, You're welcome to join us and enjoy these bangers. Next week, we have got David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, which is a film Gareth has never seen. So we are uh, I'm excited for him to see that for the first time. Um, a film that I've watched once, and I will tell a very boring story about my first time watching it because it was slightly ruined. But I'll save that for the episode because... You know, we've got way too long on this one, so I don't want to bore you with even more of that. And then the B feature is 2003's Peep TV show. A uh, shot on mini DV, I believe. A Japanese, I don't know what this is, it, uh, filmed by Yutaka uh, Chuya, I believe is how you say his name. Um, so yeah, you'll find that in the mega link below. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about that. We've got an Instagram, you can hit us up on that. Hit us up with your top 10 Bob Dylan albums, or your favourite, or your least favourite. Whichever one you want to tell us about. Happy to get that. Um, what is the Instagram? Is it 10 terabyte hard drive pod? Or I, I don't mm-hmm. know the name of the... Oh, name. not pod. Okay. Just 10 terabyte hard drive, yeah. 10 terabyte hard drive on Instagram. You can email us at 10 terabyte hard drive pod at gmail.com. You'll find our Twitters in the bio below uh you'll find the links to the films uh, that we have discussed on previous episodes as well as next week's episode as well so you can watch along with us if you wish to gareth thank you so much for joining me Mm. mighty pleasure this week joe thank you very much and listeners thank you so much for joining us playing us out of course what else could it be? That's right. It's Neil Diamond for mm. Sweet Caroline. No, it's, uh, it's uh, <laughs> Mr. T- Mr. Tim Harding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to play out with Bob Dylan, and you know, there's only one thing we can end with. It's, we've gone mega length on this, Senor. So sh- <laughs> yeah, should we go with Senor? Or should we go Changing of the Guards? I'm not sure. I feel like we oh, it's got to be Senor. Okay, it's got to be Senor. senor. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> listeners, this is Bob Dylan. Senor brackets tales of Yankee power. We'll be back next week. Uh, Peace out, guys.
Let's overturn. 